Well, good morning. It's my pleasure to welcome you here to Central, where we seek transformation through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope that you experience the love of Jesus and the presence of Jesus this morning as we turn our hearts toward Advent. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, as we begin our first in our series of Advent. This year, we're going to be looking at Jesus' incarnation, that is, his taking on flesh, becoming one of us. We're going to examine it through the gifts that God gives us in Jesus. And how do we respond to him? This morning, we're we're going to be looking at God's why. What's the purpose for God sending forth his son? Why did Jesus come for you? Did he come for the world? Let's pray together. Father, open our hearts and open our eyes to see Jesus. Open our ears to hear and our wills to follow. Make us your dearly loved children, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, than an heir through God. This is the good news of great joy. Glory to God in the highest. I have a friend who on principle refuses to ask for specific gifts. At Christmas or birthday, he just won't say what he wants for his gift. Instead, he suggests that if you know me, if you really know me and study me and care about me, then I will trust you to pick out something you think that I would enjoy. It's looking at someone to say, I understand you, I understand what your needs are, and I want to bless you because I know you. Why don't you try that this Christmas? and Pick out something unexpected for a family member. The purpose and the why of our gift giving at Christmas begins with God. In fact, God is the one who saw us as we are. God is the one who understands who we are. We are his image bearers who are glorious ruins. We're filled with glory. We're filled with dignity of being made like God. And yet, at the same time, it is all marred and ruined by our sin. So God seeing us this way, understanding our plight, gave us a profound gift which spurs our own gift giving at Christmas. Why do we celebrate Christmas? because God saw our need and gave us his son. That's the purpose of Christmas. He gave us his son. And when we reflect on that purpose, then hope begins to grow deep roots into our hearts and buoy us up as we live awaiting his return. There are a few places in scripture where God tells us his why. Why did he give us his son? What was his purpose? And Galatians 4 is one of those texts. So why did Jesus come? First, he was sent to bear our burden. He was sent to bear our burden. Look at verse 4. Paul clarifies, when the fullness of time had come, or at exactly the precise moment, at just the right time in world history, God sent forth his Son. From God's perspective, when the Greek language had spread across cultures and the word could be written and understood by a broad number of people, 
when the uh, peace of Rome had provided roads throughout the Middle East and people could travel safely from one ethnic group and nation to another. When the Gentiles had tired of their old pagan religions, when Jews understood they couldn't keep the law, when the power and corruption of Rome proved that God's people could not save themselves. At exactly the right time, God pulled all these threads of history together according to his perfect timing, and it says he sent forth his son. Not only was it the right time, but he sent his son into our conditions. Think about that. What were the conditions? He was born of a woman. The son of God took on flesh like you and me. Now, sometimes we don't think about Jesus as truly having a body. We don't think how earthy and how real he is, in part because of some of our Christmas hymns. They make Jesus seem more like a a Christmas card, Hallmark Jesus. And I love the sentiment. I love the nostalgia. But Jesus was born on the scene, not into a Christmas card perfect scenario, nor was it a silent night. He was born a baby like every other baby. When Jesus was born, he cried like all other newborns do. Jesus was born in that way to an unwed teen mother in an animal-keeping room, likely a cave off the side of a family member's house down in the dirt. The King of kings and Lord of lords was born to an unwed teen mother in dirt, in the floor, in the dark. And there was no one else there. Mary didn't have family members with her. It's most likely Joseph was not even there because he would have been ceremonially unclean if he were there, and it would have cost this poor family a lot of money to remedy that. It was a birth like every other birth, and yet unlike any other. I love Andrew Peterson's Christmas song, The Labor of Love. It begins this way. It was not a silent night, There was blood on the ground. You could hear a woman cry in the alleyways that night on the streets in Davidstown. And the stable was not clean, and the cobblestones were cold. And little Mary, full of grace, with tears upon her face, had no mother's hand to hold. It was a labor of pain. It was a cold sky above, but for the girl on the ground in the dark, with every beat of her beautiful heart, and it was a labor of love. That's what Christ's birth was like. He was born of a woman, just as beautiful and just as traumatic and with just as many tears as any other birth, any other birth in the dark, in the dirt, in an animal cave in the Middle East 2,000 years ago. That's where Jesus came. And that gives me incredible hope. It gives me hope to think that Jesus took on flesh like mine and yours, and he knows what our lives are like. He knows what it is like to feel vulnerable. He knows what it's like to feel needy, to have no one to care for him, to no one to address his needs except for a mother in the dark. He knows what it feels like to feel alone. He knows what it feels like to cry to be sad over things that are broken in your life. He knows what it feels like when your friend at work turns their back on you, betrays you. He knows your aches. He knows your pains. He knows what it feels like to work so hard on a project and you're super proud of it and yet you're dog tired at the end. Jesus knows that. 
He knows what it feels like when you are overwhelmed with sorrow. He knows what it feels like to be you. Don't put him on the Hallmark card because Jesus gets you. You might feel alone, but he understands you. He understands exactly where you are in your life right now. And that same Jesus who gets you, who understands you, who knows what's going on in your life is coming again for you. That Jesus. Not only was he born of a woman, he was born under the law. That means that he was called to obedience to all the commands of God, just like you and I are. He was bound to keep God's law in its entirety, every bit of it, every jot and every tittle, all the expectations of God on a human being, all the demands of God for righteousness, Jesus did them. He never broke one of the Ten Commandments, either by deed or by his thoughts or by the longings of his heart. Not only did he not break any of them, but he always kept them to their fullest. He worshiped fully in every experience. Not only did he not hate when he was attacked or betrayed or beaten, but he perfectly loved. And every interaction with every person he ever had, could you imagine being Jesus' sibling? Imagine what that would have been like. He's perfect Jesus over there, and he even loves me when I'm mad at him. He did everything right all the time. The Bible says he was born under the law. He kept it perfectly to bear your burden because neither you nor I could do it. Jesus kept the law fully to bear our burden of our inability to keep the law. Now, maybe you think, of course, he's Jesus, He was able to do those things. I'm not. I can't relate to him. He's, He's different from me. But Jesus can relate to you. He knows what it feels like to have the limitations of a human body. He also knows what it feels like to be tempted. Jesus knows what it feels like to be supposed to honor God with your actions here and be tempted to do the opposite. He knows what that feels like. Hebrews 4 says that he was in every respect tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what it feels like for you to struggle to obey God. And that burden that you feel, that struggle that you feel, Jesus came to bear it for you. He came in righteousness. He came to offer his perfection to you, his record of perfection right now. So let him, because he understands you. So let's stop all the feeble efforts of trying to be good enough for God. Trying to be good enough to make God drawn, be drawn to me, to make God love me, and I remain crushed when I fail him. Let's give all that up because Jesus knows what our lives are like, and he came into this world to bear our burden. Roll your burdens over onto Jesus' shoulders. The stress, the fear, the anguish, roll them onto his shoulders because he's the only one who can truly handle them well. Give everyone and everything back to Jesus and know that he's able to handle it and treat you as his dearly loved child. Why was Jesus born? He was born to bear our burden. Second, this text tells us he was born to set us free. The Bible's word for that is redeem. It's in verse 5. 
To redeem means to pay the price to release a slave into freedom. To redeem something, there had to be a high cost, and it's precisely that cost that a slave couldn't pay. But that's what Jesus did for you and for me. He redeemed us because of our sin, our guilt of sin, our enslavement to sin. Someone has to pay the price to set us free. And the Bible's clear that the price for sin is death. It's a holy and perfect judgment for all of our rebellion against God. And that cost has to be paid if we're going to be redeemed, if we're going to be set free. And it was that cost that Jesus paid on the cross. It is that cost that Jesus paid to set us free from our sin and set the world free so that he could begin making it all new again. What a clear purpose of the Son of God that brings us hope. Jesus redeems us by dying on the cross for all of our sin and being raised from the dead in victory over it all. And he's ascended to heaven and now he rules over all of his creatures and all of their actions. If you trust in Jesus, your debt before God has been paid, you've been set free from slavery to sin because Jesus entered into our hell-bound prison of sin and he paid the price for our redemption with his own life. He came in order to set you free. It's important to lay hold of that truth, which when it gets into our hearts, begins to grow deep roots of hope. His redemption dealt with the guilt of all of our sin. We've been cleansed by the lamb. All of those things that you think about when you wake up at two in the morning. All the accusations that the devil throws at you that you remember, I did this, I did that, I should have done this when I did not. All of those guilt, all of those things that you've done, you've been cleansed by the blood of the lamb and your guilt is gone. You've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And so when you stand before the holy judgment seat of God through faith in what Jesus has done, there is no reason to fear his displeasure. You're covered, you are washed, you are justified by being joined to Jesus through faith. Your future is secure in his arms. As the hymn says, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. He came to redeem you, he came to to set you free. But he also has come to deliver hope for you right now. Today, not just on judgment day, but you have hope today because you're set free from slavery to your sin. Because of Jesus' redeeming work, that dominating power of your sin has been broken. Those old sins that that enslave you, that, that hound you, that harass you, they no longer have the same power in your life that they once did. You might still be tempted by those old sins, But through the power of the Spirit of the living God, you have been given the ability to say no. To say no to those sins and yes to righteousness. He has come to free us from enslavement to our sin. This week, you're probably going to be tempted to sin in a way that you have a thousand times before. Every one of us in this room. The easy button for me is I am going to be tempted toward impatience. I know it because I'm tempted every day toward impatience. It's one of those besetting sins in my life, and that's the only one I'm going to confess to you this morning from the pulpit. But there are lots more. 
But my, with my impatience it, in my heart, it opens the doors to all kind of contempt for people. Some murderous attitudes in my heart that Jesus labels in the Sermon on the Mount. And I've done it so many times before. What is it for you? It's that temptation that's going to come to you today. Let's together ask the Lord to break the power of that corrupting sin in your life. Just simply say, when, when the temptation comes again, say, Lord, I know that you've redeemed me from this sin. You've set me free from the domination for impatience and contempt. Help me say no to this sin now and yes to honoring you in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions. In that moment of temptation, pray back to the Lord that you know you have been redeemed that the power of sin has been broken and ask him to help you to obey. And you're gonna see him work. You're gonna see him give you strength and give you power and your heart will be filled up with hope because the way that you have always been does not have to be the way you shall remain because Jesus is at work. You've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. You've been set free from the guilt and the power of sin. Thirdly, Jesus was sent into this world to give us a place in his new family. And you would think it would be enough good news to proclaim that Jesus had freed us from slavery to our sin, but he's done more. He's more than just our victorious warrior. For verse 5 says that God did these things in order that we might receive adoption as sons. He not only freed us from our debt of sin, he not only promises the renewal of all things when he returns again, but he's also placed us in his family, and he didn't have to do that. God could have regenerated us. It's the biblical word for giving us new hearts, being born again that enable us to believe. He could have regenerated us without adopting us, but he didn't. He could have justified us, that word that means he declared us righteous in his sight, he could have justified us without adopting us, without adding us to his family. Think of all the angels who are righteous and yet aren't called God's children. But you are. That is not where God stopped. He not only forgives us of our sins, not only declares us righteous in his sight, not only grants us legal standing in his presence, but further, God has made you his dearly loved child. He set his affection upon you to make you an heir of heaven. And all the blessings of heaven are stored up for you. It could have been good news enough for Jesus to free us from our sins. But God went further to adopt, to set his unyielding affection on you and on me when we were rebellious sinners and hated him. He was drawn toward us to make us his dearly loved children. Maybe you struggle to find a place where you feel like you fit in this life. But you have a fit in God's family in which your father delights in you. Maybe you're estranged from people in your world and you wonder, who wants me? Who could want somebody like me? The answer the Bible gives is God does. God wants you. He wants you enough to adopt you as his dearly loved child and make you an heir of heaven. 
Let that grow hope in your hearts. It's likely that all of us are estranged somewhere. You're estranged from someone somewhere in this life. Maybe you're even estranged from your own blood family. Maybe Thanksgiving was really hard because you were at the table with people with whom you have a busted up and broken relationship and you don't know how to fix it. You feel estranged from your father or your mother or your aunt or uncle or cousin or sibling or somebody and you feel out of place in your own family and you wonder, in all the world, where am I cherished? Where does somebody want me, somebody desire me, somebody really want to set their affection upon me and treat me like I'm dearly loved? In all the world, where am I cherished? The Bible's answer is God himself cherishes you. God himself sets his affection upon you to name you his child. He came for you and he's coming again to take you home to be with him forever because you're his dearly loved child. It's the truth. It may be hard to believe it, but it's, it's true. And since it's so hard to believe, he gives us verse six. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. This is the logic of what Paul is saying here. In verse four, this God sent his son into our world. He sent his son into our world to redeem us and then to adopt us as his sons. That's the truth of what happened. And then in verse 6, it says, he sent his spirit into our hearts so that we experience that truth. So that we know it in our hearts and we know it all the way down to our toes. God wanted us not only to have a cognitive grasp of a truth, but he sent his spirit so that you experience its reality. And that's not just for super Christians. Not just for those people out there that you admire. It's not for super Christians. It's for every blood-bought, redeemed child of God. God has sent his spirit into your heart to challenge where you feel lonely. To challenge where you feel rejected as if you don't matter and nobody cares. He sent his spirit into your heart so that you know that's not true. You do matter. He does care he loves you he cherishes you and so that you experience that truth the lord sent the spirit of adoption into your hearts when we naturally want to live like we're orphans as the mission agency surge so aptly puts it you know that feeling a feeling of being orphaned wondering who cherishes me feeling like i've got to make my own way in this life you know what that feels like living as if you're an orphan. An orphan mentality is feeling like I have to look out for myself because nobody else will. Nobody else is looking out to take care of me, so I have to look out for myself. You ever feel like that at work? Ever feel like that in your own family? But you're not. You're not an orphan. You are God's own child. And God himself looks out for you. God himself is your protector. God himself is your provider. You are not an orphan. Orphan mentality sometimes leads us to fear being rejected, to fear being exposed. And so we try to make sure nobody sees any need in our lives. We don't want people to see our weaknesses, our sins. 
We live as orphans by leaning into that performance mentality, thinking the only reason that so-and-so really cares about me is because I always come through. They care about me because I'm dependable, because I deliver, I get things done. But when I fail, I'm terrified that they're going to reject me. When I mess up, I'm afraid that they're going to leave me all alone. So in that orphan mentality, we want to make sure nobody sees our weakness. Nobody feels that we're dependent upon them. I never admit that I'm wrong and I need help. It's orphan mentality. But you're not an orphan. We are sons of the living God. His spirit has given to our hearts to help us believe it and help us remember it. It's the spirit who helps us cry out to our Father in heaven. It's the spirit that witnesses to your life and your experience that you are not alone as he teaches you to call out. There are a few things in this life that, that fill us with so much hope as being unburdened, in heart, able to open up your heart and your grief and be heard and received by someone with arms open in their welcome. Isn't that true? There are a few places in this world that feel better than knowing someone loves me and welcomes me exactly how I am. They know all about me and yet they still have their arms open wide for me. That is such a wonderful gift and we long for that. In fact, it's the plight of our culture that wallows in loneliness. And we don't have space for those real and intimate and genuine friendships to be able to bear burdens together. It's, it's, it's a plight in our culture. It's a cancer in our culture. But friends, you're a child of God. And hear that word of God from you, your Abba Father. You are welcomed with arms open wide by the King of kings and Lord of lords. The one who is ruling over all his creatures and all of their actions, the one who's in control of the universe has his arms open wide for you. And he's a father of mercy to people who've been bound up in slavery to our sins. And he wants to, he delights to show you and me mercy. He sent his spirit into our hearts to convince us of the truth that he is kind, he's full of affection. He has a purpose in calling us to be his sons. So we don't have to hide anymore. We don't have to hide. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to, to let, make sure everybody sees us with our best foot forward. We don't have to hide as orphans anymore. But we live before the face of God as his dearly loved sons. What's the best gift you ever received? Think back on all the Christmas gifts you've ever received from somebody who knows you really, really well. What's the best thing you've ever gotten? And I want to tell you, it wasn't the bicycle when you were six. As awesome as, I still remember, I got a, a yellow bicycle with a banana seat when I was six years old. It was amazing. I loved it, but that's not the best gift. It's not a toy. It's not jewelry from your dearly loved spouse or family it's not any nice clothing the best gift you've ever received is from a God who knows you more deeply than you know yourself and that same God crawled into this world he crawled into your life to redeem you at the cost of his own son's life 
and to adopt you as his own child, his dearly loved child, and he sent the Spirit into your life so that you know you will never walk alone again. Friends, that's the why of Christmas, and that's the best gift you've ever received. Let's pray. Father, we are overwhelmed at the magnitude of what you've given to us when we hated you. In our sin, we were opposed to you, and yet you've loved us. You've come toward us. You've come for us. You've, in mercy, redeemed us at the cost of the life of Jesus. And you've adopted us. It's true. And so that we know it's true, we experience it's true. You sent your son, the spirit of your son, into our hearts to teach us to cry out to our father who loves us. And so, Father, as we celebrate your coming and anticipate your returning again, as we live in this in-between time, would you fill our hearts with hope? of knowing we're dearly loved. And you purposed everything in this world to set your affection upon your children. Help us to hang on to that hope and grow deep roots into our souls, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.